I had to relearn how to live and it was more these emotions and now I feel like okay I can be myself again it was different it was a learning curve for me which I didn't expect it was kind of confusing at first as far as golf I separated the two but as far as my life I sort of had to relearn things it was great because along the way I found pieces of myself again and I felt like I could be more of myself and be authentic and the journey that I've been on since coming out has been very good honestly golf isn't quite what I want it to be but I can say that I've never been happier and my mental health has never been better obviously I have a lot of aspirations that I do want to continue striving for but as of right now I'm, I'm happy and I'm pleased with the person that I am and who I have become. Everything happens at the right time for the right reason with the right people and I am just so so grateful for everything that I have and the life that I am able to live today. Hey everyone welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast thanks so much for joining us and please subscribe to the show so you hear about upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaways. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Tad Fuchikawa, who is going to share his story and journey as the first openly gay male pro golfer. Tad is the youngest player to ever compete in the U.S. Open and has made 14 career starts on tour, which also includes uh, tied for 19th in his own backyard, where he is today in Hawaii at the 2012 Sony Open. So, hey, with that, Tad, thanks so much for joining us today and, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been, I don't want to say trolling you. I, I saw your story two years ago. I've been trying to connect with you. You've been very, very busy with what you're doing in golf and life. So I'm glad we finally had the chance to connect and make this conversation happen because it is important and it's impactful and it just gives you another platform I'm hoping here to share your story and your journey. So with that, can you take us back two years ago to September of 2018 when you... I believe it was uh, as a late night Instagram post. It happened to be coincidentally on World Suicide Prevention Day. And we will talk about mental health and golf and in life uh, in this conversation too. But can you take us back to that day in September 2018 when you had the courage and the desire to put yourself out there to the world? Yeah, you know, I had been contemplating coming out for quite a while. The Instagram post that I had written, which was kind of a long novel, that had been in my phone for probably three or four months. So I had thought about it a lot. You know, I had just gotten to the point where I don't want to say I didn't care. It was more of I didn't care what people thought of me at that point, And I felt like I was ready. And I really wanted to just be myself and be open. I also have a passion to help other people. And that was probably the biggest part of coming out publicly. I felt like I really didn't have to do it. But at the same time, I knew in my heart that I wanted to help people. And I know how other people being visible helped me in my journey to not only having the courage, but just finding myself and feeling accepted and, and not alone. Right, right. Right after you put that post out there, the reaction, and I saw that, it, it reverberated, it, it resonated and it connected. 
Were you surprised by that? The fact that, that it did go kaboom like it did? Yes, I, I expected a little bit of the, I don't want to say attention, but as far as the messages and congratulatory inspiring messages from friends and family and, and people that, that I'm close with, but I didn't expect the golf world to take hold of it the way they did. I had not been in the spotlight in quite a while. So, you know, I didn't expect it to be really that big of a story, but I posted it late at night. And then the next morning, it kind of really wasn't anything. And then someone had taken the piece on Instagram and written in like an article about it and posted it on Twitter and like from 10am the next morning. And from then on, it was nonstop for like a week. So I was definitely surprised. I didn't think, you know, it would be that big of a deal, but I'm glad that I'm able to share my story and to help other people along the way. Right, right. Social media being what it is, I'm hoping this didn't happen, but I'm sure there's always people out there. Did you then get any any negative backlash also, or, or was it all positive or mostly positive? Yeah, yeah. A lot of it was very positive. I was preparing myself for the worst. I think when anyone comes out, you hope for the best, but you prepare yourself for the nightmare stories. And I did. So it was a pleasant surprise how welcoming everyone was about it, golfers and non-golfers alike. So it was very positive for me. And I'm thankful for that. You know, you have a little bit of negativity here and there. But overall, in comparison to a lot of other stories, I felt very, very fortunate. Very happy to hear that. Now, in the last two years, I do want to talk about your golf journey, just as a professional golfer. But also now, once this was out there to the world, did you find any pressure for you then to be that voice or that person as the representative for the LBGTQ community when you, that was not your intention at all and this extra pressure that maybe you didn't really want to have put on you? How, how has that been in this two-year journey now since you put that out there? Yeah, it, initially it was the same feeling that I had when I initially did well at the Sony in 2007 and then the few years following that. That's sort of how it felt initially. I had to relearn how to relearn how to live and it was more these emotions and now I feel like okay, I can be myself again. It was different. It was a learning curve for me which I didn't expect. It was kind of confusing at first. I didn't really know. As far as golf, I separated the two. But as far as my life, I sort of had to relearn things. It was great because along the way, I found pieces of myself again. And I felt like I could be more of myself and be authentic. And the journey that I've been on since coming out has been very good. Honestly, golf isn't quite what I want it to be, but I can say that I've never been happier and my mental health has never been better. Obviously, I have a lot of aspirations that I do want to continue striving for, but as of right now, I'm, I'm happy and I'm pleased with the person that I am and who I have become. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. So, so let's take it back a few years to the 2012 Sony Open. You were only, what, 15, 16 years old at the time? 
the first Sony, I was 16. Um, the US Open, I was 15. You were 15. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just the pressure of that and also finding your footing with your sexual identity at that time. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about this, this early in another conversation, but just as far as anxiety, depression, feeling overwhelmed, and we talk about mental health for everybody, not just professional golfers, but everybody in life. Mm-hmm. And I talk about it a lot with entrepreneurship and how hard that is on entrepreneurs, just as far as that mental health piece. Did you find at that time, were you too young to really maybe acknowledge it or just kind of swept away with the moment? And it wasn't perhaps till afterwards, a couple of years after that, that perhaps you had a a dip. So to tell us about those years with you Mm -hmm. as far as golf and also your personal and mental health journey. Right. So at that time, I mean, I was 15, 16 is kind of when you explore and sort of figure things out about yourself. I was a little preoccupied, (laughs) you know, with golf. So a lot of my focus was just golf. So it it was sort of good for me because I never really thought about anything other than golf. And I was very busy with that. That was my vision. So I think the mental health part was never brought up because of golf, because I was focused on it and I had so many other great opportunities. However, mental health also was never talked about at that time. It really wasn't a topic and no one really spoke about it. The conversations about it was never really put out there. So I think it was a little bit of that and a little bit of, okay, I'm just busy with golf. So just focus on that. And I never, I never really took the time to figure out who I was. I think that took a toll later on, 19, 20, 21, 22. And that's kind of when I started losing my golf game. My golf game started going downhill, early 20s. And then that's when I started figuring out more about who I was and trying to explore that part of my life. Now... It's like whether it's in a corporate situation here, I know also with entrepreneurship, with what I'm heavily involved with too, not only the mental health side, but also with your sexual identity and other aspects of your life that you identify with, there's still a stigma attached in certain areas, even though it is 2020, we think we're through all this, but we are not, sadly. There's still so much work to do, and I do applaud you and, and thank you for the efforts that you were making to inspire others and give them confidence that they can take those strides also, which I think is great. But I know with mental health, especially with men, I've I've seen this and I've read a lot about it, especially older men, that they just bury it because they look at it in the workplace, whether it's on the golf course or whether it's in the office, that it will torpedo their career, that it will be detrimental, that if they ask for help and put it out there that they need help, they're struggling with their mental health, that Mm -hmm. they're stigmatized and it's, it's a liability and could be a career ender. For those couple of months where you had that post on your phone there, are these things that were swirling around with you as far as the challenges or the aftermath of those different scenarios of maybe this could be really detrimental to my golf career and then finally saying, screw it, I don't care. I'm just going to put it out there and see what happens. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult because it's one thing coming out to your family and having that sort of worries. And then you have to come out to like the rest of the world. (laughs) That's a whole different thing. And especially... For me, being like a professional athlete, somewhat being in the spotlight, not not so much at that time, but in the past, it was scary. And then also living in the South. I live in Georgia most of the year, and that's pretty conservative where I live. That was a worry because I didn't know how the people at my club were going to react. So there was a lot of different parts of it. Also, my coach and his wife, they're almost like my family in Georgia, they're very strong Christians. And I wouldn't say 
extremely conservative. They're very open-minded, but very strong Christians. It's kind of a touchy subject. So, you know, I was worried about losing the people that were close to me. I didn't know how they would react more so than like how the golf world and all of that, all the outside stuff. It was like the people that were, were close to me that worried me the most. That held me back, I think, for a long time from coming out um, mm-hmm. because I was just scared of scared of losing the people that I felt close to. It wasn't so much of how they would react to me being gay, but it was like, I just don't want to lose them. Just the thought of losing them and our relationship and our connection, I just didn't want that part to change. Right, right. Well, it sounds like you still have majority, if not all these people in your life. Yeah, I mean, it's been probably better than I had ever expected. I personally think it strengthened a lot of my relationships with the people that I already felt close to my best friends, my family, my parents. And like I said, my coach and his wife, they're like my family in Georgia. But the people that I was worried about, I feel like I've gotten closer to them because of coming out. I feel like I can be myself. And it helps that they really don't care. They feel like they can ask me whatever they want, regardless if it's about my sexuality or not. But it's just open and authentic and honest. And that's by far probably the biggest blessing that since coming out, I feel like that's been in my life. Nice, nice. Well, tolerance and acceptance are Christian virtues. So I'm glad they've embraced those and have amplified mm-hmm. those. And it sounds like that's probably enriched their worldview also. And that's, that's a great Yeah, thing. it is. It's been very, very positive. And I can't thank them enough just for being accepting and loving and all that good stuff throughout the process. So well, love and kindness will trump intolerance and hatred and all those other negative things. And that's why we got to keep going. And you're doing such a great job at that. So I want to ask you this in, in the last two years, especially without thinking that you would become this platform or a lightning rod or a catalyst for change. I've noticed, I've just got it open on my other screen here that with the PGA of America, and this is the summertime in June, that they have an article here welcoming the LBGTQ community to the golf course. And my friend, now and a guest a couple of weeks ago, Charles Delahunt, who's working on their diversity and inclusion piece, wrote this article or co-wrote it. So it sounds like they are now making great strides and efforts and initiatives to really welcome the LBGTQ community, which is a multi-billion dollar business opportunity if you just want to look at it from that point of view, rather than it is the right thing to do as human beings. I'm just curious, are, have you been involved in that or have they reached out to you or is this something that's kind of taken on a life force of its own that you're watching from the sidelines tell me about that with some of the initiatives that are going on to make golf more welcoming and inviting for the lbgtq community yes i've been involved with a little bit of it some interviews and podcast sort of things here and there nothing too hands-on on my part but myself and a few other pj section pros and some other golf influencers and and there's been a few lpga players as well yeah, we, we've all been pretty outspoken about building the game of golf and, and growing it. And I think making golf a more progressive sport, we're trying to get golf to where a lot of the other sports are nowadays. I think golf is still behind on that. So yeah, I mean, I've been a little involved with it. Nothing too crazy, but I try to do whatever I can to progress the sport of golf. 
I think a lot of people are, regardless if they're LGBTQ or not, they're trying to be allies for our game. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I remember seeing an interview with, I think it was with Rory McIlroy a couple of years ago, asking him the responsibility he had to connect with younger people and grow the game of golf. His response, and he actually got blowback on this, is that's not my job. I'm out here to win golf tournaments. That's what I do. He's a little bit blunt about that, but mm-hmm. it's facts, right? It's like, yeah. that's not why he got in the game. It's not his job to mm-hmm. do that. Do you feel, I don't want to kind of put you on the spot here. Do you feel there's this tension with you where your main goal is become the best professional golfer you can while supporting your community? But do you find there's pressure on you to be that spokesperson for the LBGT community in regards to golf, where really your main focus is to become a better professional golfer and more successful and fill those dreams you have? Right. I know exactly what you mean. It's weird. I used to view it as pressure when initially coming out and I kind of didn't know how to like process everything. At first I felt pressure and now I feel like it's inspiration or like empowerment to do more. I feel like it's my purpose. Obviously, yes, I want to be the best golfer that I can be. And I feel like I have a lot way to go and to improve on that. But I feel like me being... I don't want to say a spokesperson, but a good role model for our future generations. I think that has become my passion and my purpose. And sometimes, you know, you can feel low and you can feel down and discouraged. And for me, that's helped me along the way to keep going and to continue striving to be better, not only as a golfer, but as a person and to be more educated and and to help other people. So in a way, you could see it as pressure. However, I I have come to terms with that a little bit more and viewed it as inspiration. Nice, nice. Love that. Now, as far as your own mental health and taking care of yourself, what do you do or have you done the last couple of years? What are your rituals? How do you make sure that you're kind to yourself and take care of yourself? In golf, being that individual sport, even though you do have a team around you, mm-hmm. it's it's all on you. So what do you do What for our audience out there, whether they're in the golf realm or just in life, people that, especially in COVID times here, we're feeling it even more, that anxiety and even depression and just feeling closed in. What do you do personally to keep yourself engaged and to take care of yourself? Everyone's different, but I'm a little more on the introverted side. So time alone for me is recharging a little bit. It feels good, but too much time alone is also not good because I can get in my own head. But for me, I feel like what's helped me the most is may sound cliche, but just to be my own best friend and to also find balance in my life. For me being a perfectionist and having those qualities, I tend to overindulge a little bit in the golf side. So finding a balance between work, which is golf, and social life and leisure has been important for me. And I found a little bit better balance. I think I can still improve on that. But I'm, I'm learning what works best for me and what makes me feel like my mental health is, is at its best. I think being your best friend is important and then finding balance, whatever that balance is to you and whatever helps you to feel your best. I think that's the most important. Yeah. Thanks for the, for that response. I, I totally agree with that. Not that I necessarily always follow those things myself. We're always a work in progress and some days are, yeah. are better than others. Sometimes we're a little kinder to ourselves than, than others. And other for times sure. we put a lot more pressure on ourselves, which brings me to my next question. Your journey over the last, let's say the last decade in golf, 
sure with some early success, especially in your teens, you had expectations set by yourself and also by others. Can you tell us how you're feeling now and how it was the last couple of years? Because it has been an up and down and around golf journey for you, has it not? Yes, it's been interesting. Uh, A lot of ups and a lot of downs and a lot of really downs. But looking back at it, I had so much success at a young age. And me being a perfectionist, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I I had a lot of internal issues, family, my sexuality, all of that stuff. And then feeling the pressure sort of from like the golf side of it. It was difficult to have all of that put on me at such a young age. And to be honest, everything sort of came easy for me. I've never really had to struggle for a long time in anything I did. And then having all that success at a young age, mentally, it put a lot of, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And then when I got to early 20s, my golf game slowly started going down and I really wasn't playing that great. Then I was like, okay, I don't have my golf game. Now what do I do? Like, I literally don't have anything to live for. That's when my mental health started getting bad. And then I started trying to figure out my sexuality. All of my friends are getting boyfriends and girlfriends and being in relationships. And I was trying to figure all of that stuff out at the same time. And it was just a lot. I was in a really low place. I didn't really want to play golf anymore. I had issues mentally, not only in my personal life, but in golf. I had a swing glitch to where I couldn't, I got it to the top of my swing and I couldn't hit the ball. Like I couldn't swing down. I would like freeze. And that was by far the most difficult thing. I mean, it was almost two years of that and trying to figure out how to cope with that. So it it was really a mess. No one really knew about that except for the people that that I was playing with. But going through that was was really tough. And then I wasn't out at the time. It, It was just a lot of stuff. But somehow I just kept on going. And I will say having my mom with me during that time was extremely helpful. I definitely would have quit without her being there. And it wasn't like she forced me to, to keep playing. She's like, you can quit. I don't, I don't care. She really didn't care. She said, it's up to you. But something just kept me going. And I think having her there just to support me and just to be there for me, along with my friends and, and my other family, it was really helpful in my journey. And through the lows, it's actually helped me to have more empathy and become a better person. I mean, simply put, it's made me a better person and it's helped me to learn and grow not only from myself, but just to help other people as well. I love that. It sounds like you're a much more resilient human being than you were a few years ago. Well, I was about to ask you the question. They were at that inflection point that you could have just said, screw it. I'm done. I got to give up find something else to do or even worse, yeah, go down that black hole. That is golf defines my sense of who I am and my purpose. And I don't have that in that sense Mm -hmm. of despair. So it sounds like your mother is a wonderful human and helped you get through that. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it really, I didn't really express a lot of this stuff to her. I kept a lot of it to myself, but just having her there, not being alone and not always feeling alone was helpful for me. But yeah, it was a tough journey. And a lot of times where I just wanted to quit, I didn't even want to, honestly, I didn't even want to like get out of the house. It was that bad. I didn't even want to go to the golf course. Obviously I still did, but yeah, it it was pretty dark for quite a long time. I'm glad I've gotten out of that phase. At the same time, I always need to keep my guard up and to keep working on my mental health and to keep going forward and keeping my purpose and my passion alive. And speaking of that purpose and that passion, I'm curious to hear what keeps you going in golf now. 
Tell us where you are right now in your golf journey. Obviously, you're between seasons. You're back home in Hawaii right now, not in right. Georgia. So where are you right now in your pro golf career? And what do you aspire to achieve, hopefully, over the next one, two, five, or even 10 years? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a few different parts to this question. So what keeps me going right now, what I feel my purpose is, is to be a spokesperson or a role model for the LGBTQ community. Also to raise more awareness about mental health, to help other people. I would like to start my own charity someday. That's my driving force. And as far as my goals, obviously immediate goal would be to get status on tour. Probably would have to go through the Corn Ferry tour now just because of Q School not allowing you go straight to the PJ tour. But getting status on the tour would be the first goal. And then just try to keep getting better. Obviously, I have some bigger goals as well. For me right now, is just taking one step at a time, keep getting better every single day, just keep working hard, keep trying to improve. And I feel like as I keep trying to improve, taking small steps will help me get there in the long run. Nice. So what is that roadmap for next year when you hit the ground running, you get back to uh, your home in Georgia? So what are the plans? Just mini tours, um, just try to get my game sharp for the first probably couple months and then probably try to do some qualifiers and then get into some tournaments that way. That's the only other way other than Q school. So that's kind of the plan. That was the plan this year as well, but with COVID and everything, it kind of got messed up. So hopefully next year will be a little bit smoother for the, the golf schedule and all of that. Hopefully we can get something going. Hope so too. Hope so too. So I ask entrepreneurs this question all the time on another show that I do. And that is looking back, rewinding the tape when they started out with their startup. What do they wish they can change or what did they learn or could they tell themselves? If you can go back to tell your 18 year old self something you know now that you wish you did differently or just a little bit of an insight, what would that be in golf and in life? I think overall would just be to find balance and to somehow find yourself outside of golf. I think for me, because I put so much emphasis in golf, that was like my life. I didn't have anything other than that. That was like literally everything that I did was golf. Everything revolved around it. And I feel like if I had a little better balance, it would have helped me down the road not only with exploring myself and finding myself, but just getting away from the pressure of, okay, golf is my life. That's the only thing I can do. And that sort of mentality. I think that's probably the biggest thing. But that being said, I have zero regrets of anything that I've done. Sometimes I think like, man, I really should have came out earlier, but I don't think I was ready. Everything happens at the right time for the right reason with the right people. And I am just so, so grateful for everything that I have and the life that I am able to live today. Love that. Love that. Have you found, whether it's through Instagram, seems that you're quite active there, especially with that post two years ago. Mm -hmm. Did you receive any DMs or comments from young people reaching out to you that were struggling with their sexual identity that thanked you for Mm -hmm. showing the courage? Did you get any type of those conversations? A lot, a lot. Not so much anymore, but I did initially up until a few months ago, you know, I was getting those messages and I I still do once in a while and it's, it's great. I feel like I can help people through that. It's been good. I mean, I've, I feel like I'm making a difference and that means a lot to me. 
it's cool because when I first came out, obviously I got a lot of those messages from younger people, youth, and even people my age, which sounds weird because now I feel like old. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's good. I got a lot of those messages initially. And then they would give me like an update, like, oh my gosh, I came out to my family and like how positive it was, or even if it wasn't positive, how they're doing and, and how much better they feel. And it just hits me in a special place because I know how it is and how it feels to be in that position and how scary it can be. Just not knowing how people would react to you being yourself. It's been really special for me. Love that. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure what you've learned over the last couple of years about resources and support groups and other organizations that are there to support young people or anybody that is struggling or questioning their sexual identity and feel alone mm -hmm. and isolated or struggling with that. Are there any resources that you can provide for us that we can also put down in, in the show notes and also the, the links in on our YouTube channel here for people if they need someone to talk to, to, to let them know that they're not alone and, and they are loved and they do matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the biggest one would probably be the Trevor Project. I haven't worked with them directly, but uh, through other companies, we've done collaborations and stuff. They would probably be the first organization that comes to mind. There's also a lot of other LGBTQ organizations that I've worked with that have been great. Human Rights Campaign, the Get Real Movement, they're in Canada. They're really great. I did a video with them and they're probably some of the nicest people you will ever meet. It's got to be a Canadian thing. I don't know. <laughs> there's a lot. You just have to reach out and, and do research. And I'm sure there's a lot of local things now too. I did some stuff with the human rights campaign in New York and they had LGBTQ youth group and it was mind blowing. I mean, they were like high school students and I'd say 14 to 17 and they're just so educated on LGBTQ issues, human rights things. And it's, I just compare it to like where I was at that age. I was mind blown because for me, if I had something like that when I was in high school, it would have made such a huge difference. The stuff that they're doing is, is just great for our youth. Everyone's just so supportive and loving and, and it's, it's like a family. It's literally like a family, but even greater because you get to choose who you want. It's pretty incredible just to witness that sort of thing because I've never been a part of anything like that. You know, having those youth groups for our LGBTQ youth is just, it's incredible. And we will include all, all the links to what you just mentioned there. We'll make a point of that. And then speaking of nice Canadians, I don't know if you're familiar with the show Shit's Creek, but with Dan mm -hmm. Levy and all the, all the great work that he's done, and even some episodes end with places and resources for young people that are struggling with their sexuality to reach out to. And the fact mm -hmm. that that show has just blown up over the last couple of years, and he's used that as a platform, it's kind of grown over time, that there's all these other elements, whether it's from sport and from <clears throat> entertainment in other places that are increasing the level of tolerance and acceptance, which is really heartwarming. It is great. I think in all sports, we're trying to make it a more welcoming place for our LGBTQ youth, especially the youth where they don't feel welcomed. And especially in sport, there's kind of a stigma behind that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's very important. I think it'll help our community drastically just to give everyone equal opportunities and to make them feel loved. I think it'll help suicide rates and that sort of thing as well. So it's all good stuff for sure. 
Absolutely. So, hey, to, to finish up here, because we do want to jump on to our video chat here, because, of course, we also have our Mod Golf YouTube channel. So we want to have our listeners hopefully turn into viewers over there. We're going to talk about a few other things and ask some different questions. So, hey, just to finish up here, I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing your story today with us. I know you've told it a few times, so I, I hope <laughs> you, you still feel energized. I can tell the authenticity that oozes out of you and that that warmth and that joy of you working through your journey and continue to do so. I consider it an honor to have the opportunity to help share your story today. Thank you for having me. It, it means a lot to me and something that I'm extremely passionate about. So Go. thank you. Thanks so much. All right, Tad, take care. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. So that's a wrap for our final season eight episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tad Fujikawa who shared his story and journey as the first openly gay male pro golfer. If you'd like to learn more about Tad, check out his Instagram at taddy808 and visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information. The video link for my extended conversation with Tad is also on our episode show page. And please subscribe to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to get back to you. We're going to take a month off now to develop our next batch of Season 9 episodes create some Mod Golf product reviews for our YouTube channel, and bring you more Mod Golf giveaway contests. Thanks so much for helping make our Season 8 the most listened to one so far. I really appreciate your support. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. Our friends at Golf Genius Software have added a new digital scorecard option to their live scoring capabilities of its tournament management platform. So if you're a golf course owner or operator, I suggest you check them out online at golfgenius.com to find out how they can create less work, more fun, and more revenue. If you enjoyed this conversation about influencers in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.